Now, we've been, we've been um, taking a look at the Ten Commandments on Wednesday nights. And the book of Colossians, especially chapter 3, has a lot of good practical Christian living type verses in here that we're going to cover. So tonight is going to be like your typical Calvary Chapel, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, Bible study. We're going to do a Bible study with some practical things. And I hope it blesses you. Uh, the Ten Commandments, when the Ten Commandments, when the nation of Israel had the Ten Commandments, these were practical laws that the children of Israel can live by. And so we're going to look at some practical, wonderful Christian living um, examples in the book of Colossians that we can live by. So um, how did we get to this tonight? Um, I took about a week off a couple weeks back um, to kind of do a reboot. And I asked the Lord, I go, Lord, um, I just want to root out some things in my life and I want to plant in some things in my life. And he led me to this chapter. And I was, I was greatly enriched after reading it. I, it just, it really helped me. Um, it helped me with, with a lot of, uh, lot of things that were in my heart. You can, over the years, you can collect things in your heart. And you just need the word of God. You just need God to just remove those, just to pluck them out. And this, this chapter really helped me do that. It, and, and, it was funny because I was helping, uh, I was doing some um, marriage counseling using this chapter. And I was reading and I was, you know, sharing it with the couple. And I said, this, this is really, you need to apply this. And then God just convicted me and said, no, you need to apply it. And so I said, okay, Lord, um, let's just, let's dive in. Let's do a study. So, um, the title of tonight's message is Living for Christ. I was so blessed by Pastor John's um, worship tonight because all the worship songs tied right into this message. And it's so cool because we didn't talk. We didn't even say anything. It's just the way the Lord works. He just weaves everything in for our benefit. And if I had to do a subtitle uh, for Colossians 3, it'd be Living for Heaven While Living on Earth. Living for heaven while living on earth. All right? So that's what we're going to look at. Um, let me read. I'm going to read the first two verses of Colossians chapter 3, and then we're going to pray and we're going to just get right into it. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Lord, thank you for this truth. Thank you so much, God, for how you speak to us through your word. And Lord, tonight I pray that you would preach and teach and share with us uh, the truths of your scriptures. Lord, as we were singing, be glorified in heaven, be glorified on the earth, and be glorified in this temple. I believe that this passage reflects that song that we just sang in the most beautiful and most amazing way. So thank you, Lord, for weaving all that together. I pray that we would walk out of here different, transformed, more like you. Uh, give us an idea of our calling Give us an idea of um, what you would have us do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. So Colossians is a book. Uh, it has four chapters. Chapter one will teach us, if you guys are looking for a book to read, this is a great book. Chapter one is very practical. It's the truth about Christ. Chapter 2, Paul um, is warning that little church of Colossae about cults, especially Gnosticism that came into that church early on. So chapter 2 is the truth about cults. And chapter 3 and 4 is the truth about the Christian. And so we're going to learn that today. Um, 
it was cool. Paul's friend, Epaphras, uh, he met him in, in Ephesus, and he's the guy that actually planted this little church in Colossae. And so Epaphras, um, I believe, was in Rome when he met Paul. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. And Epaphras was just sharing from his heart, saying, Paul, these guys are been, being ripped off by this false doctrine. And Paul says, well, hey, we need to give them the truth. And we're going to give them the truth about Jesus. And we're going to give them truth about what is happening. And then we're going to give them truth about practical living. And Paul had never been to Colossae. He had never met this church. He wrote to them in a letter. And Paul back then, that was a powerful, um, when Paul spoke or wrote a letter, it was powerful. Everyone like perked up, said, yeah, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to heed this. And Epaphras was very wise in telling Paul about what was happening. And so he wanted to share what was happening. The, this chapter is broken into two sections the first section, the first four verses, uh, if you guys are note takers, uh, living for heaven. So the, the first four verses and the verses five through 25 is living on earth. So those are the two sections we're going to look at living in heaven or living for heaven and then living on earth. And so we'll start with that. Um, let me read this funny story to you. I just, just want to share this little illustration here. Um, it's called Baseball in Heaven? Question mark. It says, two buddies, Chris and John. We, by the way, just imagine we have two guys on staff. We have Pastor John, and then we have Chris, who runs our uh, high school ministry and our junior high ministry. So just imagine them in your mind, just for fun. Two buddies, Chris and John, were two of the biggest baseball fans in America. For their entire adult lives, Chris and John discussed baseball history in the winter, and they poured over every box score during the season. They went to 60 games a year. They even agreed that whoever died first would try to come back and tell the other if there was baseball in heaven. One summer night, Chris passed away in his sleep after watching the Yankee victory early in that evening. He died happy. A few nights later, his buddy John awoke to the sound of Chris's voice from beyond. Chris, is that you? John asked. Of course it's me, Chris replied. This is unbelievable, John exclaimed. So tell me, is there baseball in heaven? Well, I have some good news and I have some bad news for you. Which do you want to hear first? John exclaims, tell me the good news first. Well, the good news is that yes, there is baseball in heaven, John. Oh, that's wonderful. So what could possibly be the bad news? You're pitching tomorrow night. <laughs> That's some good perspective, right? Paul says then if you were raised with Christ, he gives them some theological foundation here before he sets us off. He says, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. And in Matthew, I love this verse, uh, Matthew 6.33. This is my life verse. Um, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And that's what's cool about heaven is that we have a connection with Jesus. Even now, as we sit here in our earthly realm, we have that connection with Jesus. It says that we're raised with him. We are to seek those things that are from above. And then it says where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And then he says, set your mind and th th look at this, set your mind, or 
Another term for the mind, set your aspirations on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. Um, There's a funny little story about where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. It says, there was this junior high kid that came up to a pastor, and I heard this from a, from a, pa- a pastor who was telling this story. He says, this junior high kid came up to him and says, man, I have some great insight on this passage, especially that verse. And, and he approaches the pastor, he tells the pastor, did you know that God the Father created the entire universe using one hand. And he goes, oh, how did, how did you find that out? And the little boy goes, well, he used his left hand. And he goes, oh, really? How do you know that? And then the little kid reads this verse. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. <laughs> So this kid had this perspective of where Christ was sitting, and it was pretty funny. Just some little insight there. But having the right perspective as we are heaven-bound, our Lord is at the right hand of the Father interceding to make intercession for us. And it's said that people that are heavenly-minded are more happy and content, that this, this world is not where it's at, that we have this projection of where we're going. We have a hope. We have, so we have a destination that is better than what we're existing on now. And then it says people who are earthly-minded are usually worried and frustrated. The relationships and the possessions that they, they own fall short. It doesn't satisfy. Um, they strive to make things happen because literally this is all they have is they have this world. And so Paul was very good about outlining the the theme of heaven, that heaven was something that we had to put our minds on, fix our minds upon. Um, This term affection or set your mind or set your affection uh, on on heavenly things that are above There are three ways that I want you to understand on how to set your mind for heaven. Three ways. I want you to, we're going to look at treasure, trials, and transfers. Okay, let's start with treasure. Didn't Jesus say, wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also? Isn't that true? That wherever we put our heart, there our treasure will be. So if your treasure is in your home or in your hobby or in your habits, um, that's where your treasure is going to be. And what did Jesus say about that? He says, don't put your treasure where moth is going to destroy or or robbers are going to steal. He says, put your treasure in heaven. Lay it up there. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in people. Invest in kingdom movements. He said, that, would, that, is, that is a place is where you, you're going to set your mind in heaven. Did you guys ever, um, I'm going to date myself by saying this. Did you guys ever see Daffy Duck? You guys are familiar with Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny? They had these two rivalries. So there's this one episode, it's called The Happy Miser. Do you guys remember that episode for some of you that watched that? Where Daffy Duck, um, Bugs Bunny is chasing Daffy Duck and Daffy Duck is chasing Bugs Bunny and they're trying to find some hidden treasure. And Daffy Duck keeps, you know, stopping Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny's coming up through a hole and he's stomping him down, going, mine, 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 mine. You know, just he's going after the treasure. And it's just funny how Bugs Bunny outsmarts him every time. But that's where that's what we do as people on the earth. We seek after treasure that is earthly, that is, that is not going to bring us any value, that is not going to bring any um, heavenly significance. And so Paul says, no, we want, you need to be setting your mind on treasure. Jesus said it, Paul said it, your treasure should be the kingdom, the kingdom of God. The other thing that, that our mind, our, the reason that our mind should be set on heaven is that when we go through trials, Trials keep us longing for heaven. 
You know that? They do. They keep us longing for him. They should make us homesick for heaven. You ever go through a trial? It should make us home. We should, in da- we should daily embrace trials. It shouldn't be something you should run away from. It shouldn't be something that you're fearful of. Every day, God's going to throw some type of trial. I don't, think, I don't think anyone has a perfect day. Would you agree with that? Can I get an amen on that? Right? You're going to go through a trial. Because God in James, God says that the trial and tribulation you're going through is perfecting you. It's helping you. So you shouldn't shun it. You should look at it, embrace it, and go, wow, heaven's going to be so much better than what I'm going through, right? You should have that perspective. God is so clever. He's, he's not going to give you perfect days. He wants you to long, and he wants you to be homesick for heaven as he perfects us. Right now, um, I'm, I'm visiting with the family. Does everyone, you guys know Harry Grotty? Just a good brother. Love that brother. Saw him on Monday. He was in the hospital. Um, he's got cancer on the brain, and um, he, he's pretty much going to go be with the Lord. I mean, literally, I saw him today as well. Um, from Monday to when I saw him today, he is just slowly slipping away. On Monday, he was cracking jokes, and today he was just, he could barely, he was in and out of sleep. Just, he had one foot on the earth, one foot in heaven. You can just tell, you know? And it was, it was great to talk with him on Monday, just getting his perspective. And I just said, Harry, how you doing, man? And you know what he kept just saying over and over again? He said, man, I just love the Lord, and it's whatever God wants. He just kept saying that over, you know, whatever the Lord wants, I want, you know? If the Lord wants me here on earth, then I'll be here on earth. If the Lord wants me in heaven, I'll be in heaven. He's like, just whatever. And, and that, that man is, is precious. You know, I remember when we were um, doing the uh, campaign, we were helping out with Rob's campaign for the assembly and, and for city council, Harry Grotty and, and Nick Ochoa, these, these were like, you know, the two, like, the sons of thunder. These guys were hitting it, you know, and they were about it. And, and you know what? He just, he had this perspective. He's like, man, I'm doing God's work. I'm going to get a godly man elected for office. And he just, he had that perspective. He also had the perspective of like, man, I, my only desire is that my children know the Lord and they come to the Lord. And that my family comes over. That was his biggest, that's his only want in life. And now that's a heavenly perspective. Going through a trial like he was, like, like death. When you say death is one of the biggest trials you ever go through, it's gnarly. Can you imagine just being on your deathbed and having that perspective that, you know, what I'm going through is not a big deal. But what I'm going to is a big deal. Right? Going to heaven. He's looking forward to that. He's like, whatever God wants. And I love that attitude that Harry has. His family's grieving. We please pray for the family. They're, they're praying, take, Lord, take them quickly. They, they get it. They have perspective. For, and, and today I was sitting with the family and I just said, I don't know why God still has them here. It's a mystery. God is just, he's just, He's mysterious. I just know he's good, and I know where Harry's going is going to be even better. And I just know he's a good God. So we just got to have that perspective. The other thing that you need to reset your mind for is the word transfers. You know what I mean by transfers? Transfers. Moving people to heaven. Having this heavenly perspective is that you want to bring people with you. You want to bring family members those people that are close to you, coworkers, friends, you know, people that people that you love and care about, even people that you don't love and care about should be in heaven. I remember um, my grandma, Grandma Momi is her name. She's from Hawaii. And um, she, she was so funny. She got saved in her 70s. She came to the Lord in her 70s. 
and she called me Kanani. That's my middle name. She's all, Kanani, um, I would love to go to Jerusalem. And so I, I said, wow, Graham, that, yeah, that's an awesome. She said, oh, but I need you to go with me. I said, I would love to go with you. And that was her bucket list, that she wanted to go to, to be on the, on the steps of Jerusalem and, and, and see um, where Jesus walked. And, and, and so we did. We took a trip with um, Chuck Smith and Brian Broderson and, and uh, a few others. And it was an amazing trip. And, um, and when we were, I think it was on the Mount of Olives. And, and by the way, we're going uh, in November. If any of you guys want to go, we saw a room. I would encourage you to go. But we're sitting on the Mount of Olives. And I just, I've never seen my grandma just pray and worship and, and just seek the Lord like I've never seen before in my life. And I said, Lord, she, I go, thank God my mom shared Jesus with her. And she's going to heaven. My mom transferred a truth, a real truth, to my grandmother that she's going to heaven. And that hit me on that mountain. Wow. And she's a lot closer than I am. And I, and I, and I just, um, I, I miss her. I miss her dearly. She was a good woman. She was so generous. And um, she went peacefully, too. The Lord was gracious to her. I'm going to give you a warning, though. Here's the warning. Have you ever heard this term? He or she is so heavenly-minded, they are no earthly good. Have you heard that? Right? So the reverse, this is a trap that we as Christians fall into this lie that it's all about heaven, right? It's all about, you know, let's, let's go buy a farm in Montana. Let's stock up on food and shotguns and bury ourselves in a bunker, not talk to anybody and wait for the rapture. That is the mentality of the, and it's, that is the farthest thing that Jesus wanted. Jesus said, occupy until I come. He says, be salt and light. You know, he was, he's like saying, he's all, be the transforming community of God that I created you to be. Pastor Rob quotes this from Genesis 1.26, that God created us to rule and have dominion, to rule on this earth. He gave us authority. When Jesus was here on earth, he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You guys, you've heard that, right? He said that a ton. Jesus taught about the kingdom. What did he mean by that? What did he mean by saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand? He says, basically, if my people, if the kingdom is near you, and you've been studying the parables, as Jesus taught those parables, we've been studying those on Sunday morning, and we are seeing glimpses of the kingdom, and Pastor Rob has been sharing these great kingdom truths. Check out Luke 17. I'll just read it. You don't have to turn there. Luke 17, verse 20 and 21 says, Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Isn't that cool? The kingdom of God is within you. I had this pastor friend who surfs, and he and I would surf, and we went on a missions trip to um, Indonesia, and we surfed Uluwatu, and he was sharing this story with me uh, when we were in this cab going to Uluwatu to surf. He said, man, um, and he was quoting this verse, and he said, man, I used to hang out with my buddies, I had these two friends, and they'd take me surfing. I was a little younger. They were older. But they would take me surfing, like, you know, every week. We would just go and go and go. And, um, and finally, you know, 
there was another friend that shared the Lord with me and I received Jesus. And then I, so I went to go tell my buddies that take me surfing and I shared with them and um, they said, oh, right on. They high-fived him. His name was Mike. High-fived Mike. Stoked, man. You're part of, you're part of the kingdom now. We can all like fellowship. And, and so he finds out these two guys are Christians and he gets mad. He's like, wait a minute. The kingdom of God was in you and you didn't share it with me? I mean, it was like, it was convicting that he'd been surfing with these guys and they didn't share anything about the truths of the kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, wherever we go, so goes the kingdom. And that is an awesome truth. Here, let's look at verse three. Check out verse three. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the death of a believer spiritually is probably the best thing that's going to happen because what happens is new life's going to come. Paul wanted to give this church theology, this truth about Christ, so that when they tackled the questions of heaven and they tackled the questions of what do we do here on earth, that they would know, hey, my life is hidden with Christ. And this is a cool idea of being hidden. Check this out. Being hidden is the idea is that Christ is eclipsing you. Isn't that cool? That Jesus is so big in your life that he's eclipsed you that you're hidden, you can't even be seen. And that's what the Christian life is all about. Have you ever seen those stickers? Those, we call them hiki stickers. You seen those? It goes H-E, he, in big letters, greater sign, I. You seen those? Everyone's like, what does that mean? So he is greater than I. That's the idea. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so Christ would increase in me. I was thinking of Corey Timboon. Does everyone know Corey Timboon? She was, um, belonged to this family in Holland. And during the war and, and what we call the big Holocaust, um, her family hid Jews the Jews from Holland in their home. Great movie, great book called The Hiding Place, Corey Timboon. But she, she tells of her story of her and her sister hiding Jews in, in their home. There's one part where she and her sister, eventually they get taken and put into a concentration camp. And um, they snuck a Bible into their dorm. And the dorm was full of lice, and all the women in the dorm had lice. And and they would have these Bible studies. But here was here's Corey Timboom and her sister. They were thanking God for the lice, praising him. Because, because of the lice, the guards didn't come in and rape them and and disrupt their Bible study. Isn't that insane? But her life was so hidden in Christ that she could do that. She had the, she had the power and she had the, the um, gosh, long-suffering and the endurance to do that, to have that type of resolve and to endure that type of thing. She got out of that and she had a beautiful life, an amazing life, um, Afterwards, but many scars. She paid the price, um, but she saved many, many lives because her life was hidden in Christ. She was, he consumed her. And that's the idea that, that our life is in Christ. And it says, when Christ, who is our life, that's where I got this theme for this, 
study is that Christ, who is our life, appears. You will also appear with him in glory. The truth of our existence, the truth of our existence is that Christ is our life. As, if you're a Christian here tonight, that is the truth. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you've not received Jesus Christ tonight, I'll give you an opportunity later to come forward and I'll pray with you to receive Jesus because this is what life is all about, is receiving his life. If we are followers of Jesus, this is what we live for. This is what, who we are. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Revelation 19, Pastor Mark just taught on it Sunday night. I don't know if some of you were there. It was awesome. And he, and he shared with us from the scriptures how Jesus is going to appear in his glory that he's going to come back. He's not coming back on a donkey, mild and meek. He's coming in glory. He's coming on a white horse with the saints of God. And, um, and it's going to be victorious. And this is where it says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And I loved when John sang that song, when he led us in worship, be glorified in heaven. Be glorified on the earth. And be glorified in this temple, our temples. Isn't that awesome? That we would know that Christ is in us and that when he comes, we will be glorified through him. Now we're going to get into the practical parts of this study. Uh, go, to, go to verse 5. Living on earth, we're going to put to death and put off the sins of the past and maybe the sins of the present, right? We're going to go through this ugly list here, guys and gals, and then we're going to go through a glorious list. So hang on. Check this out. Verse 5. Therefore, put to death, or even better, mortify or bring a death blow to your members which are on the earth. And here's the ugly list. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires. Those are all sexual sins. You can put that in the sexual sin category right there. Covetousness, which is idolatry. We can put this into the sin that hurts people, right? And I'll explain that in a minute. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Paul is, um, is giving them the benefit of the doubt. He's saying, this is, this is, you might have been this in your past. Paul is assuming that these are gone and done with in this church. But let's look at fornication. Fornication. Man, this stuff is like a cancer. It's like a plague. My dad just got out of the hospital, and he had his gallbladder erupt. And apparently, and this is gonna, I don't mean to gross you out, but they found like pus and boils and all kinds of crazy stuff on his gallbladder, and then they found some on his liver and then on his bowel. It was like it was just a mess because a month earlier he had went in and he went septic and from. It's, it was nasty. But here's the idea, though. They had to go in and surgically cut out that gallbladder. They had to surgically go in and clean up the liver. They had to surgically remove a part of his bowel. They had to do that. Fornication is the same word in the Bible as pornography. It's the same. The Bible looks at, so you fellas, if you're dabbling in, in pornography, purpose in your heart when you leave tonight and just say, I'm going to be done with that. I'm done. 
I'm going to put it away. I'm going to cut it out like a, a, an ruptured gallbladder. I'm going, to, I'm going to do surgery. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus in Matthew 5, he says, get radical with your sin. He says, he says, if you have to pluck your eye out and cut off your hand, it's better to go into heaven maimed than to have your whole body thrown into hellfire. Jesus was radical when he said, take care of this. Paul said this in Romans 6.13. He says, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as righteousness to God. You know, when we, when especially, and you know, and it's this isn't a sin just for men, women too. I, I know of women that, are, are now dabbling in pornography and dabbling, dabbling in fornication. Um, I sat with a couple that is, their entire family is blowing up because of this. It's, it's insane. Many families. Um, this, is a, this is a home wrecker for sure. Fornication. Uncleanness. What is uncleanness? You know, that nasty humor that comes up that just in your mind, that gross, you know, you, you hear the humor on TV, on the late night shows, that stuff. People like, you know, you've Bill Maher, you know, you guys familiar with him? That's uncleanness, that type of stuff. The Christian has no part in that. Passion, evil desires. You know, we, we live in that world where, passion and evil desires come continually. Those are sexual sins. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Remember David and Bathsheba? David, he was the king. He's looking upon his palace. He's out on the porch and going, oh, I want that one right there. Was watching her bathe. So he did all these. He did 40, he did it all committed adultery with Bathsheba. Her husband, he tries to cover his sin up and kills her husband, Uriah, the Hittite. It just gets messy and more messy and more messy. Idolatry. He's putting his eyes, fixing his eyes where he should not. Saying, you know, and then Nathan brings this cool little kind of parable to him about a lamb saying, David, you took this guy's lamb. He only had one. You had like a hundred, his only little little lamb. And, and God convicts his heart and he repents and he turns from that, but not without consequences. Their baby dies and it just gets messy. These are home wreckers, you guys. This is stuff that, that we need to cut out and get radical with. If any of you are struggling tonight with any of this, when you leave tonight, just go purpose in your heart. I'm done with this. I'm going to cut it out. Jesus, help me. You don't need to be going to therapy or any of that. You just, you just say, I'm done. I'm finished. And walk out and claim victory. Because God is going to give you the strength and the power to, to release yourself from this. In John 15, Jesus offers these two scenarios. He says, in John 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branch. And any branch that does not bear fruit, I'm going to cut away and throw into the fire. That's scary stuff. However, every branch that abides in me, I will prune, right? So we know the pruning, right? The daily trials, we go through that so that it would bear more fruit. So we're either one of those two branches. This is what we want to get away from. We want to get away from this list. Let's look at verse um, 8. But now yourselves are to put off all these Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. 
Um, what I imagine is just dirty clothing. Do you, you, can you see that? You picture that? Just like a big, dirty, gross clothing. Any guys in here? Did you guys do like mud ball when you were, in, when you were a kid? Mud ball? Yeah, some of you. Bob's like, yeah, I did mud ball. Paintball. Um, food wars. We did crazy stuff when we were in high school. We would just, we would go dumpster dive and pull out rotten eggs and just mushy, you know, fruit. And we'd get these big bags, we'd fill it. And then we, there was a place we'd go in Santa Barbara and we would have food wars. It was, you know, just, and you came back and your clothes were filthy. They were dirty. When you do bad stuff, you're going to get dirty. And it was the best feeling to just peel all that stuff off, take a shower, and then put on clean clothes. There was nothing better. It was just, it was insane. Mudball was the worst. Of mudball, it like soaked through your clothes into your skin. It was insane playing mudball. Um, but that's what it's like. So imagine we're going to put off these things. We're going to put off anger, wrath. What is anger? The idea of anger is this slow, simmering, festering, smoldering anger. You know the one that just gnaws at you, that doesn't go away? It's either towards your spouse or towards a friend or a coworker or your boss, maybe your pastor. <laughs> I've, had, I've had people come in and say, man, I'm so angry. Like finally, they, I'm so angry at you. And they've been holding it for like, Years, I go, whoa, why didn't you come to me earlier? It was a total misunderstanding. Something I said, and they misunderstood it. I don't know, it was just, it's weird how anger, um, wrath, you know what wrath is, that volcanic, scary anger? Did you guys hear about the guy in the red truck that shot the teenager? Just recently, it was like June 29th. Did you guys hear about that? It was radical. Okay, so he's driving on the freeway, I think. She's coming off this on-ramp. It's this beautiful teenage girl. She was 18 years old. And she's coming, and she's trying to merge in, trying to get in, because it's just like traffic, backup traffic. And I don't know if she tried to get in or what happened, but he just takes his gun and then shoots her in the head and she dies. It was completely insanity. I mean, you, you got to have that. You've got to have wrath in you to pull something out that dis- disgusting off, that criminal. It was terrible. And we see, we hear about these things. You see in the riots and you hear the, you see the violence on, that we see on TV that is like wrath. That is terrible. And that's in man. That's in us. And God is calling us out of that. He's saying, my children should not have this. Malice. Malice is a, is a real sly one. Malice. Malice is that little chuckle or that, that you have in your heart of, or in your mind that I have ill will towards somebody. You ever see that malice? You guys ever have that in your heart? You know, like if somebody gets audited by the tat, like, oh, that's cool. The little chuckle in your heart, you got audited, your enemy, you know? Or, you know, here's here's one um, for like, I'm a coach and man, pray this never enters my mind, but I'll just give you a situation. This hasn't happened yet, but you have the best player on the opposite team and they get hurt at the most critical time, right? You could easily have malice towards that player and go, oh, I'm glad they got hurt, right? That would be malice. Just that little chuckle in your heart, harm came to that. They got what they deserved or, you know, let's say the coach is a jerk or whatever. And you just, you have that little that somebody's misfortune hits them. Um, Proverbs, I mean, let me read this. Proverbs 24, right here. 24, 17 through 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. 
lest the Lord see it and it displeases him and he will turn away his wrath from him. That's radical. The Lord sees it. He, he sees our hearts. That just should not be in us. Blasphemy. Blasphemy is when we have contempt for God and insults. Do you see that on the news? It enrages me when I see people cutting down Christians and cutting down God and blaspheming God. I, I just get incensed when I see that. It just makes me so mad. But that happens. Our hearts are like we we blast out to a God who loves and cares and we're living on his dirt and drinking his water and we're and we're casting insults at him and we're blaspheming it's just and we have contempt for him i don't get it but this is the heart the evil in man filthy language we know what that is right lies pastor rob did a great message if you haven't heard it go listen to um commandment number nine thou shalt not slander thy neighbor this is what this idea of lies is. Toward, uh, lies is bearing false witness. Um, it's the right information, and, and it can be even twisted. It can be the right information with the wrong implication. Do you know what I mean by that? I'll give you an example. Surfers, I'll, I'll talk you about surfer. I'm a surfer, so I'll talk you about surfer lies. Here's a surfer lie. Even exaggerations, these type of things. So a surfer might say, yeah, I just cut the fin off a shark, right? So the implication is that he killed the shark and then he took the fin off, right? Later to find out that the shark was on the beach two days earlier and he just cut the fin off, right? So the implication is that, you know, those are the type of lies. So God sees those. He sees the little, the, the scurry in our heart about that or another surfer lie is man it was double overhead you should have you missed it you should have been there you know and it was double overhead on a boogie border you know that's that type of stuff you know um those are little little half truths these little smoke and mirror type lies i'm telling you taught pastor rob's sermon last week was so convicting it was so good listen to that on on that and and you'll get more. And you know, it's so funny. I'm, I'm reading this and I'm looking at this, this last verse nine. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And I'm looking, I'm like, man, when I was doing those deeds, I was a young man. And how do I, you know, and how do I put off that old man? You got to put him off. That old man was the old you. And it was funny, I was a young man doing old man things. And now I'm an old man and hopefully doing young man things and being, being responsible to the Lord. Let's look at verse 10. We're going to start, we're going we're gonna to blast through this now. Verse 10, and put on the new man. Here's the good stuff. The new man is the born again, spirit filled guy who is renewed in knowledge according to the image. And when I say put on the new man, new man and woman. That's, that works for both. According to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Meaning um, when you put on, now think of this good, nice garment, okay? This beautiful garment that we're going to put on, this nice piece of, piece of clothing we're going to put on. And we are going to look at, and God really has something to say about avoiding partiality or racism or criticizing. Um, there's no place in his kingdom for us to, to be racist or for us to um, put down another denomination within, our, within Christianity. Or to, there, There's no place for that. God just saying he's all... He's all, I'm, I'm looking at the new man, the born-again, spirit-filled man. And now we're going to look at more living on earth, putting on Christ. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God and beloved. Isn't that beautiful how God says that, you're, that he's chosen you, you're the elect, and that you're holy and that you're beloved. 
That's an endearing thing. Um, The Holy Spirit wrote that through Paul to tell you. Put on tender mercies. You know what tender mercies are? We have mercy, and then there's tender mercies. So mercy is that, hey, that's, you're getting, you're not getting something you deserve. But tender mercies, I believe, is a step further saying, man, you didn't get something you deserved. God spared you. Me as your brother, let me help you out of your sin. Let me walk you out of that. I'm going to be tender with you. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to hammer you for what your sin is, right? I'm going to be, I'm going to be gentle. Galatians 6.1, if anyone who is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person that you may yourself may not get entrapped into that. That's important that we put on tender mercies, not just mercy, but tender mercies. And then it says, with kindness, and, and I, all I can hear in my, I can just hear my mom's voice saying, Brett Kanani, be kind. <laughs> I was the meanest sibling. I was so mean to my sister. And I can just hear my mom. And there was a reason, because I was breaking my sister down when I was unkind to her. You break people down when, with your, you can lift them up or you can break them down. You can be kind or unkind. As children of the king, we are to be kind, put on kindness, humility, meekness. You know what meekness is? That's power under control. That's like having a Ferrari going down Teal Boulevard, right? It's not going to put out its foot. It's meek but it's powerful. That's meekness. Long-suffering, something that um, when I was in my time with the Lord, he was showing me that, long-suffering. He said, go the extra mile. That's what, my, that's what my saints do. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. Married couples, I'm telling you, this is the one where um, we struggle as couples forgiving one another. It's hard to do sometimes, but God has strict warnings. He, he has warnings saying, man, if there's a parable he shared about a guy who owed some money, God forgave him, or, the, or not God, but the king, and, this, and the king represented God. And the other guy and he forgave him. And then the guy that he forgave, he went after another guy for a lesser amount. And God, and the king said, man, I'm going to throw you away because you didn't forgive your brother. And God took that seriously. And he says, I, therefore, I will not forgive you. Forgiveness is a big deal in the kingdom of God. Even as Christ forgave you. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection make it a priority. And verse 15, I love this. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. And look at this idea of rule. Let the peace of God rule. The idea of rule is it's like an umpire, an official, an athlete. So let the peace of God umpire and rule your heart. Something is going to rule your heart. Something will. But is it the peace of God? That's the test. Do you ever go and get torn up by a decision? Like, God, should I take this job? Should I move here? Should I do this? Do you ever do you go through that gymnastical, that mental gymnastics in your head, like in confusion and you don't know what to do? Let God umpire that for you. Let him say, hey, that's out or that's safe. Let him do that. Let God do the umpiring in your hearts. Then it says, be thankful for that. If we're thankful, it tells us that our heart is on the right track in regards to that, allowing God to have that. Here's the flip side to that too. 
the Bible says that our own hearts deceive us. So you may want something, you may covet something, and you go, yeah, God told me. I prayed about it, and God gave me a piece about it, right? Our own hearts can deceive us, so we have to check that. You may, it may not be the peace of God. It may be that you got your way because you convinced yourself it was God. You ever do that? Oh, God told me I need to divorce my wife. Really? Really? Oh, I have a piece about it, Pastor. Really? I don't think God's umpiring that guy's, that brother's heart. I love, this is my favorite, one of my favorite scriptures of all time. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Check out, here's the key word, let. See that word, let? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love how God spoke in Genesis 1. Let there be light. Let there be a firmament. Let there be animals to rule and lamb. Let us make God, man in our image. Let. There was something that, that all creation needs to surrender to. And I think, I believe with all my heart, if you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, you will burst out in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What the early church did was they sang truths about what Jesus did, just like we do today. All the lyrics that you saw on the screen as we were singing together, we were singing the truths of Christ so that it would go deeply into our heart. When you sing and you memorize a song, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You remember that as a kid? You always, that's a song you sang. That truth got anchored into your heart because of singing. I think that worship is a crucial part of a believer as we live out our time here on earth. I think worship is amazing. I, the one thing that I wanted in my home, I wanted all my kids to enjoy worship and love worship and my wife. And all, I wanted that to be part of our family, the core of our family, that we would worship the Lord together as a family. Now, let's, let's look at verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. So whatever, you're, whatever you speak, because you, now you got Christ in you, you're speaking his words, you're singing his words, and whatever you do in deed, you're doing in the name of Lord Jesus. I tell my kids, when they leave the house, you're representing the Shellabarger name. Anything you say or do represents our name. Anything we as Christians say or do represents Jesus. So remember that. It's a good thing to know. Whatever you do and give thanks, because whatever we do and word and deed for him is going to be good, right? Verse 18, here we go. Now that we have put on Christ and that we have this beautiful garment, we're going to live it amongst our family, and we're going to live it in our workplace. Look, look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Look at that word own. Submit to your own husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Wives, it's important, and this is to you ladies, to listen to your own husbands. Try to avoid counsel from other men. I would even take it as far as is be careful of your friends to take counsel of your friends before your husband. Go to your husband if you have if you need counsel or if you need it's part of that submission is looking after that part of your marriage. 
Eve got in a lot of trouble. She did not go to her husband. She entertained false spirituality in the in the why was she not consulting Adam? Where, by the way, where was Adam? Why was Adam not there? Why was Eve without her husband entertaining this false spirituality? So, we, so ladies, be very careful about who you take counsel from and who you go to for spiritual food. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. This is something that husbands can fall into. They can entertain the cancer of bitterness. Beware, husbands, not to put too many demands on your wives, to have false or unmet expectations for them. Love them right where they're at. The greatest form of the gospel is when a lo- when a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church that is the most beautiful part of the gospel husbands ephesians 5:25 husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and what how did Christ love the church he died for the church he laid his he sacrificed he laid his body husbands do not be better toward them children Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Does it say some things? It says all things. I'm really working on that at age 49, even with my own parents. I'm still trying to work that out. Obey my parents. My dad called me and demanded all these things. I just said, yeah, dad, I'll try to do that, dad. No problem, dad. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's hard. You younger folks... It pleases the Lord. It's, it's a mark of our Christianity to obey our parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers, beware of little digs, little passive-aggressive remarks to your kids. There's nothing worse than a dad bringing their kid down. Some of you have, are the, have received that, and it's hurtful. And it's painful. But guess what? You get to be a dad. You get to launch out and be the dad that God has called you to be. 22, bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service or as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. You know what? If you're you're an employee, how cool would it be that in all of the Kaneo Valley, all the employers said, man, hire Christians. They are the best employees. How cool would that be that we could represent Jesus? For you business owners, how cool would it be for you to hire a Christian and say, man, that best worker. I look at guys like Moses who worked, you know, for Jethro for 40 years, you know. I look at Joseph who worked for Potiphar, worked for the jailer, worked for Pharaoh. I mean, amazing. You see the work ethic. Have a good work ethic. Represent Christ in your work. Again, we need to be heavenly minded unto the Lord. Just an application for tonight. A heavenly perspective living for Christ will transform our lives and those around us, our families, our workplace, our community, our nation, our world. When we have a heavenly perspective living on an earthly plane, it's important. Pastor Rob talked about applied theonomy. Remember that? This idea of applied theonomy, it's amazing. It's this word theonomy, theo means God. Anonymy means law, that we apply God's law. This is a great example of how we can apply God's law. Taking his words, taking the words of Christ, taking words of the Holy Spirit that was penned by Paul, but written by the Holy Spirit for us to live by. 
I'm going to give you guys three simple ways that you can do this. Because we ask, we know the how, we know the what, we know the when, we know the where. But how do you do this? You need to be spirit-filled. You need to be a spirit-filled believer. If Galatians 5.25 says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. And, and the way we walk in the spirit is we yield. We give, we yield to God. And here's how we do it in three ways. Recognize his authority. Like we saw in verse one, he's seated at the right hand of God. Christ, our king, recognize his authority. Jesus said this in Luke 6, 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Yikes, ouch. We need to recognize his authority. Do what he says. Number two, recognize you, your and our calling collectively as a church and act on it. We are citizens of heaven. We represent Jesus to a world, a nation, a community that needs him. We are the Bible that people are reading. They're seeing how you're acting, how you're talking, how you're... And number three, be available and willing to follow where and wherever he leads. That can be through life's everyday circumstances. And I'm going to close with this scripture out of, out of Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the gift of your word and how it impacts our hearts, how it impacts our souls, how, Lord, you want us to be heavenly-minded, but earthly good, how we are to represent you here on the earth in our speech, in our words, how we conduct ourselves, how we worship. Lord, all these things, you want to be king of that and Lord of that. And so, Lord, we submit to you, and I, I pray if there's anyone here tonight that needs to be cleansed and take off the old clothing and put on new clothing. Lord, I pray that you would do a marvelous work in their heart, mind, and soul this evening. Thank you again for this truth. Thank you for even working through some of this stuff with me. I'm greatly appreciative, Lord, of how you love us and how you want to perfect us. And so we give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.